This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Hello, friend. Today we dig into part four. It is part four of our four part pod class Who is My Neighbor? And Shannon Martin is going to help us end this series, and she's going to give you some really practical tips on how you can start being faithful to this call right where you are, right in your own home, right in your own neighborhood. But I wanted to take a second and talk with you about how important this series has been for me, especially as the news came in last week about the shooting of Ralph Yarl. Ralph Yarl is the 16-year-old black teenager who was shot in the head and the arm after going to the wrong address to pick up his siblings. So he simply knocked on the wrong door, thinking it was the right one, and immediately is shot twice by 84-year-old Andrew Lester, who said his doorbell rang. So somebody rings his doorbell. And not that somebody's breaking in, by the way. Typically, people who break in don't ring your doorbell first. Not like a window's breaking and and so he's scared. No, a doorbell rings. And he says that he sees a black teenager and just immediately, out of fear, he shoots twice. After the young man ran away from the shooter's house, he was turned away by three neighboring homes before someone finally agrees to help him. It is literally, if you remember part one of this series, it is literally the parable of the Good Samaritan all over again. Ralph Yarl was shot in 2023 for ringing a doorbell while black. What is happening to us? Friend, what is happening to us? What is happening to our humanity? And I am telling you, the church has to respond. We have to have conversations like the one you're going to have today, like this entire series. I really hope that you will send part one of this series to just one other person and say, hey, I just went through this series. 
I think it's important. I think as a church, we have to start having conversations like this. We have to train our communities on what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Who better to lead a conversation on community, on love, on caring for one another, on common humanity? Who better to lead that conversation than the kingdom of God? So I really think that we are here for such a time as this. So today we will conclude this pod class. We're going to do part four. And I'm going to talk to Shannon Martin, who is a white woman who has chosen to live as the minority. She literally like sells her home, moves to a new neighborhood. And she's just going to talk to you about what that experience has been like for her spiritually. It's so good. I can't wait for you to hear it. She is fantastic. But first, it's time for Social Toolkit. This is where we discuss practical tips and best practices for entering the chat. Today, we talk to social media expert, Brady Shearer. Brady Shearer is the director of Pro Church Tools and Church Software Platform Nucleus. His work focuses on helping churches navigate the biggest communication shift in 500 years. All right, Brady, what do we do with this meta verification program on Instagram? Tell us what it is. What are your thoughts? Is this something people should be investing in? Getting their blue check mark. You know, as a Canadian, I, I, there's nothing I can do yet because though I am on the waiting list, it hasn't been released in my, my own country. Oh. Uh, started rolling out in Australia, uh, was introduced to the United States a few weeks ago. Uh, MetaVerified is a new paid service from the people of Facebook and Instagram that will allow you to uh, gain access to a number of features through a monthly payment. The first and most obvious one is you get that blue check mark. You get to be a verified uh, creator or profile on those platforms. Uh, you also get access to preemptive account protection. So this helps against uh, impersonating accounts and things like that. And then you also get direct access to support. Uh, there was a fourth feature, and that fourth feature was increased organic reach. Although I guess if you're paying monthly, it's not quite organic. <laughs> they eliminated that feature after people were pushing back pretty hard on it. So right now that is no longer a part of MetaVerified currently. A couple important things to know about MetaVerified is that you have to pay for it separately for both Facebook and Instagram. So if you want mm. to have a check mark on both platforms, there's two separate subscriptions, somewhere between $10 and $15 a month, depending on where you pay for them and which currency that you're in. And as for its viability, legitimacy, whether you should get it or not, I think uh, an important thing to consider is that if you're not paying for a product, that means you are the product. Mm -hmm. And social media for its entirety so far, let's say 10, 15 years, has been built on the backs of either you and I and everyone that's listening right. and our data and attention that has been sold to advertisers and the like. So this does represent a very big change and departure from that monetization model because now you could have creators paying themselves, which means maybe there are ways to begin to unhinge ourselves from the advertising model. I wouldn't mm. uh, say that's anywhere in the near future, but that is a distinct monetization change, which is, is a big deal, right? Like for all of social, it's been free and 
the trade-off is you have to give basically your personal data and information. This represents a potential new model. And if enough people are tired of the monetization model of advertising, you could see new social platforms prop up that are all paid to play. And, and if it becomes kind of a legitimized model through these bigger platforms, uh, I think there are definitely some cons to consider. And it's such a big change that it can be difficult to wrap your mind around all the possibilities and where it goes. You know, I think the reason that they ditched the idea of increased organic reach is because, you know, the idea with social at its best is that if you create something that people value, mm. you'll be able to reach people. And if you have to basically like pay to play to even like have that access, you know, it's like if you had a gym membership and you were playing basketball, except you were on the sidelines and you hadn't played yet. And you're, you're watching people on the court and you're like, man, I'm, I could take these guys. I could take these girls. Like I've got more skills than them. We could win. And then you go to play. You're like, oh, we've got next. You go to play. And then they're like, oh, actually, there's an extra membership just to play on this court. And I'm pretty sure I'm good enough to play. I'm, I'm confident I'm better than you. Sorry, though. If you don't pay, it doesn't matter about how good you are. You have to stay on the sidelines. So I think people felt pretty icky about that, which is why uh, Meta kind of uh, backtracked there. I would love to sign up for Meta Verified personally. You know, social media is something I take seriously. For my business, it's a write-off, or at least it's, you know, an expense. So that makes it a lot more palatable for me. It's not a big line item in the budget to consider. I have had many accounts impersonate me. And, mm. you know, there was one recently where I was getting DMs you know, 20 a day from people being like, is this you? They asked me for money. And I was like, no, that's not me. Uh, and I, I reached out to a friend at Meta and, you know, they weren't able to do anything about it. So like access to support, access to that proactive impersonation protection would be good for me. Definitely some pros and cons on each side. Very interesting. After Twitter did this, now Meta entering into something a bit new on social. We'll see where it goes. Oh my goodness. Meta verification on Instagram. Thank you so much, Brady, for helping us better navigate our social toolkit. I hope you will pause this episode and share it with a friend. Don't forget to rate us on Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast. Please leave us reviews. It matters. That's how we get recommended to reach new audiences. That is literally how we make Jesus go viral. But part one of our podcast journey, I honestly had no idea. I think that this was going to be so impactful for me personally. So I'm just grateful that we've taken this journey together. And I, I can't think of a better way to close this than by sitting down with Shannon Martin. Shannon Martin is the author of The Ministry of Ordinary Places, and her latest book is called Start With Hello. She is a speaker and writer who works as a cook at The Window, a local nonprofit dedicated to feeding its community. And today she talks to me about how, how we can just have some practical tips on how we can love our neighbors right where we are, right in our own neighborhoods. Here is my conversation with Shannon Martin. So I love to start these interviews by doing a little digging on someone's social media. And for you, Shannon, I went through your Instagram and I found a post. I think it was a carousel, but I'm, I'm just going to okay. go through the very first slide I think that you had to hear and ask you to comment on it. So you say this, in the Bible, David, a man who perpetrated some of the most oppressive violent acts imaginable is named a man after God's own heart included in the lineage of Jesus. What are we to do with a villain after God's own heart? Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
but I catch glimpses at the county jail and I catch glimpses in the mirror. From the epicenter of his human catastrophe, David penned this lyric of repentance, have mercy on me, oh God. I absolutely loved that post. (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about your heart behind it. Yeah. So that came out of the little Advent series that I put out this year before Christmas called God on the Ground, Mm. which was named when my youngest child, at the time he was probably maybe, I don't know, 11 or 12. And we were talking about the Christmas story and, you know, the incarnation and Jesus arriving to earth and and all of these bigger concepts that he was familiar with since forever. But he paused and said, oh, so basically it's like God on the ground. And I was like, Mm. yes, yes, child. That is exactly from the mouth of babes. Exactly. Um, (laughs) So that's a little side note. That idea in God on the ground, I kind of pulled back my lens and looked at who were the neighbors to the nativity. You know, we just Mm -hmm. simplify the nativity and we boil it down and we get stuff wrong and we lose important pieces along the way. And there are some really interesting characters in that story. And I would say, absolutely, David is one of those characters. And he's one of those that for me, throughout my faith history, he was portrayed not as a villain. He was portrayed as, you know, this man after God's own heart who, yeah, sure. You know, I would hear things like, well, you know, there was the murder. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That would be kind of glanced at, but then, you know, he repented and, you know, he moved forward. I never, until I was well into adulthood and well into sort of being more intentional with my own study and my own education and re-education, really, I, I had never seen him portrayed as someone who had raped a woman. You know, like this was this other story that was shocking to me in some ways in my 30s. You know, it's like, wait, that was never how that story was presented to me. And what do we do with that? And that's the question that I find myself asking a lot. I don't know what we do with that. But what I do know is that we do our best to tell it honestly. And we Mm. do our best to just carry that tension that these two things were both true about David. And we don't have to erase one of those things for the other thing to be true. It doesn't necessarily make sense in our hearts or in our minds, but we can say simply, this is an area of tension that we don't completely understand, but we can tell the truth about it. You know, we can choose to to not file those rough edges down. I want to ask you about that. We had Christine Kane on earlier in the year, and she said... To be a Christian is Mm -hmm. to carry a lot of tension. That's it. So talk to me about that because I don't think we do a good enough job as Christians about that part. Like we talk about being a Christian is peace and joy, right? right? Right. What about the carrying of the tension? What do you mean when you say that? You know, I'll speak just from my personal context. So to be be a woman, you know, I'm a white woman. I live Uh in the Midwest. I live in a very small city. Um, sort of a Rust Belt type of city. To be me in this day, in this time, in this place means that the world I am in is just crushed with um, oppression and mm-hmm. injustice and complication and division and fracture. And all of these things are true. This is the world that I am in. And so, you know, it's frustrating for me to hear people around me or just people in the world say, well, you know, something horrible happens, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. They just, the hits keep coming. 
And there are people around me and near me who will say, you know, kind of push against that, like, uh, you know, stick your fingers in your ears, la la la, I don't want to hear this. I'm choosing to focus on joy. Or, you know, this, this kind of spiritual bypassing of, you know, come Lord Jesus, and one day we'll all be in heaven. And it's like, okay, these things are true. But Mm. what do we do with this right now? What do we do? Mm. What does it look like to live in the weird way of Jesus in 2023? That invites complication and complexity and tension. And Mm. I don't know. I don't have a great answer as to, you know, how do we do this? I think we carry both. You know, I wrote in one of my books about my dad. I grew up on kind of like a out in the country on a small little farm. And I remember my dad saying, if you're going to carry something heavy, in one hand, it's a lot easier if you also carry something heavy in the other hand. Like it Mm. gives you a sense of balance. So if you're going to carry one heavy thing, carry two heavy things. And I think Mm. that analogy applies here because it's like we can carry this joy, this gratitude. We can carry our faith in a way that feels meaningful and meaty. You know, we can do that but we can also carry these hard parts in the other hand. We can hold them both Mm. and we can live that honestly. I mean, that's the thing that I just come back to over and over again. Being dishonest or kind of glossing over some of these hard things does not make them go away. It's not helping. And so we're invited. The incarnation, God on the ground, is an invitation to walk in this way of Jesus, to look at not just how did Jesus die or why did Jesus die or, you know, the crucifixion, though that is important, that often is our primary focus. And I want to say, let's look at how Jesus lived. Mm -hmm. Let's look at Jesus as our roadmap for how we can live in this complex time right now, because Jesus was also living in a very complicated intense. So yeah, I mean, I, I think there's just so much there. And it's an invitation for us to just enter into that complexity. In your book, Start With Hello, you talk about how blogging opened up your entire world. So this is Viral (laughs) Jesus. I love when somebody has the positive side of Al Gore's internet. Talk to us about that. Do you still (laughs) blog? Talk to us about your early days blogging. What what was happening for you in that time? Heather, yes, I would love to talk about this. I feel like I'm one of the grandmas of blogging. So this would have been 15 years ago, which might not sound too long, but I was in a very different phase of life. It might have even been longer than that. I've got to think back. My son, Calvin, would have been a year old. He's almost 18. So, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I did that thing where my mother-in-law was a scrapbooker where she would cut all of her photographs up and glue them into books. And they're beautiful. She does an amazing job. But I remember thinking, I'm not doing that. I want to preserve some of these, you know, early mother years. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. And so I started this little blog that was the beginning and the end of my why. It was a a Mm. little hobby. It was something fun. And I named that blog, wait for it, Flower Patch Farm Girl. (laughs) (laughs) That was the name of my blog because in that time, that's what you did. I mean, you know, we were like, following pioneer woman and all these. I was living like my farm girl dream. We lived out in the country and what I thought was my dream farmhouse where I would live forever. I mean, I really was in a very different place of my life. And I started just documenting my days and, you know, pictures of my kids and pictures of things growing outside. And over time, the Holy Spirit started to shift in me. And I started to write about things that were a little more challenging and a little more personal And through some of that shifting, my family then 
decided to pull up our stakes and move away from that farmhouse and into this neighborhood that we live in now that is a low-income, extremely diverse neighborhood on what a lot of people would consider kind of the wrong side of the tracks. And so I arrived here Mm. with the brand Flower Patch Farm Girl. I'm like, well, this doesn't work anymore. Like, now what do I do? (laughs) But, you know, I I look back on on the blogging years with a lot of gratitude and a lot of just, you know, it feels so sweet. That's when I started to find my voice as a writer. That's when people started to find me. You know, I started to kind of build a following or an audience. Mm. And then at the point that we moved into the neighborhood here, that's when I found the story that I really knew was mine to tell. And those Mm. two pieces kind of came together. So to answer your question, I don't still blog. I haven't really in years, but there's this thing happening where where writers and authors are asking people to subscribe to their email lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've been doing that for years now. And, and I really, that fits into blogging in my brain. Like we call it something different. Yes, and it's transmitted absolutely. a bit differently. But my newsletter on Substack, that's where I do that kind of writing and I do it regularly and it's still a big part of my life. How do we get there, Flower Patch Farm Girl? <laughs> How do we get the, the Substack yes. now? How do we the get it? The Substack is called The Soup and the you soup. can find that. There's a link in my Instagram profile or on my website, shannonmartin.com. You can sign up for it there. I don't go by flower pet. I had to like do away with that. But it's funny because (laughs) some of my friends from way back who are still like in the world writing books and doing these things, they'll tell me in their phones, I'm still flower patch farm girl. (laughs) It lives on. I love that. This actually kind of segues perfectly because I had written this question for you. I was listening to an interview that you had done, I think last year, and you said that in your childhood in a fairly Mm -hmm. conservative Christian home, you learned essentially in childhood that difference was a danger. And I resonated with that a lot. I think a lot of Christians can resonate with that idea because we have a lot of fear in Christianity about anything that don't be of the world. You can be in the world, but not of the world. Don't love the world, right? So talk to me about your experience in that tension as you became an adult. Where do you stand now on that idea difference is danger? Yeah. Oh, I love these questions. So I want to give the caveat. You know, I grew up in an all white, very kind of working class town in Ohio. My parents were new to the Christian faith, you know, as well into adulthood. My mom had grown up Catholic. My dad had grown up German Baptist, which is kind of like Amish, but they drive cars. So really different. Wow, interesting. Conservative in different ways. And so their marriage, you know, caused all kinds of how? Okay, wait. Okay, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. How did your Amish dad meet your Catholic mom? How did that even happen? I know. Well, they lived in nearby communities. And it's just, you know, like, okay. I think my mom's sister worked with my dad and introduced them. And but, I, okay. but I'm telling you, like, it was it was like a shock to everyone. Like this was this marriage was like, I think there were all kinds of pearls being clutched. I mean, my dad's side of the family, of course, did not wear pearls. <laughs> Um, None of them did. I mean, these were just, you know, more working class people. And so that was kind of the beginning of the beginning of my story. And they found their way into a real meaningful expression of the Christian faith in a small town evangelical church. Mm. And that's where my faith story kind of begins. You know, this was during the 1980s. 
when there was a lot of, you know, kind of the satanic panic was happening, a lot of these cultural moments. And and I look back okay. and think like, oh, my parents were just doing their best, you know, like we all are. Of course. And so there was a lot of, you know, I, I right. think back and I laugh like, okay, I wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs, but I was allowed to watch this. There were all these really arbitrary things happening because <laughs> my parents were just looking yeah, to yeah, the yeah. people around them. And doing, you know, what right. Dr. Dobson or whoever was saying to do. And so my parents were on the cutting right. edge in many ways of really authentic hospitality. Like they had very little, but they shared it with open palms. They had never said to me, difference is dangerous. And yet I mm. absorbed that message. And I absorbed that message in ways because, you know, I did certainly hear the be in the world, not of the world, gotcha. you know, be a good influence or that person is a bad influence, this type of language, this sort of fear or like, right. you know, put some space between you and whomever else. But at the point, I think it's easy to fall into those patterns when we live in homogenous spaces. And for most of my life, even well into adulthood, I had only lived in places where the people around me looked, lived and believed like I did, where everybody around me was sort of a reflection of me in some way. And so that was very comfortable. You know, I didn't have further questions at the point that my family, number one, our family was built exclusively through adoption. So I'm a white mom of four non-white kids. Yeah, yeah. That's an inflection point in my life that started to change a lot of things. And then at the point that we moved into this neighborhood and then the ripple effects out from that. So then my husband became the chaplain of the jail. Like there were all these things that happened after that. But mm. I was suddenly confronted with a lot of difference. And what I discovered was that I was allowed to be curious. I was allowed to look at the differences around me and not be afraid and not feel like, you know, mm. now I need to put some distance between myself and this other thing. The way through was to come closer. The way through was to shorten that yeah. distance between me and the people around me and just listen and learn and be curious and not be afraid to be curious, not to feel like, you know, if I spend time, if I hear their story, if I listen, you know, I'm going to lose something important in the process. That's not at all what happened. What happened was I started to recognize the complexity, just, you know, even going back to that story of David, the complexity of like, we all come from different places. We have different eyes on the world. We have different lived experiences. We've made different kinds of mistakes and we are all, we're children of God. And so what does it mean? that we're both here in this place at the same time. Mm. Like, what if we spent time figuring out why that matters? This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today.
a couple things actually that have been going through my mind as you were talking. One, we're in the middle of a pod class series right now called Who Is My Neighbor? Mm -hmm. And so when I saw your book, I said, who better to have on during this pod class series than Shannon Martin, who wrote Start With Hello. I'm going to ask you a question about Start With Hello Mm -hmm. in a second. But as you were talking, my my mom is white. Yeah. And I mean, she's my biological mom, but we have different experiences, right? And so as you were talking about that, I was just curious, was your decision to move to a more diverse community, was it because of your children? Were you trying to put them in a different... My parents... They're from New York. Well, my mom's from Grand Rapids, but when she married my dad, they were in New York City. And then they picked the town that we still live in now because it was diverse. That has always been very important for them about me as their child. I was just curious if that was part of it for you. You know, I will be completely honest with you and say the biggest catalyst for us in that decision was just this broader sense of suddenly realizing, I mean, this was a long process and even selling that farm and moving, it just felt like it took forever. And so God was working through us all the while, you know, but we had this sense suddenly that we were living in a bubble. Like for the first time in our lives, we started to kind of look Mm. around and feel like, you know, Jesus is God is calling us to care for the poor and the people at the margins and the people who are suffering. And and we suddenly realized we didn't really know people who were suffering in different ways and who were materially poor. And like, we just didn't meaningfully mm. know people whose lives were different from ours. And that was the umbrella that kind of put us into action. I wish I could say, yes, it was for the kids. I think the kids, they were babies. You know, it was just hard for me to wrap Mm -hmm. my mind. You know, I have a lot of feelings and thoughts about interracial adoption because there was so much we didn't Mm -hmm. know. And so I feel it's, it's like a thing that I don't talk about very often for a lot of different reasons, but I do know that there's a real need for us to be listening to adoptees, adult adoptees, birth parents, those types of things. But I know we were just getting things wrong. And I see this, you know, at some point we started to realize when we realized where we were landing, because at first we didn't even know. And I do remember thinking, oh, you know, our school system is primarily Latino. It's majority Latino. And my kids are not Latino. Mm. But there was this sense in me and in my husband of like, this is going to be a good thing. Like, it's like it happened after Mm -hmm, the fact. mm -hmm. And I wish that wasn't true. Yeah. But I see that as God's grace (laughs) in our lives and in the midst of everything we were learning and as a real gift to my kids. I just want to tell you, there's been multiple times already, and I'm not even quite Mm. sure why, as we're talking, that I'm feeling my eyes tear up. Mm. And I think it's your humility. People are listening, but I can see her. There's a video call going on, and I see you. you. I want you to know that. I'm seeing the Holy Spirit in you, and I'm seeing your like genuine, authentic humility be present. It's like Mm. choking me. So I want you to know that. I'm very much enjoying this conversation. In your book, you write... I stopped wishing to receive an invitation to belong Mm -hmm. and started writing my own. Unsure of where to begin, I set out to be the neighbor I longed for. Mm -hmm. Was that a vulnerable process for you? Because I think a lot of us are in that place where we're like, oh, I wish I had deeper relationships. I wish I had deeper friendships, but nobody's coming to me. And so you just made this decision to start inviting people to you. Was that vulnerable for you? What did that feel like? Oh, for sure. Number one, I'm an introvert. (laughs) That's like... Really? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, it's an important thing for me to to say in these conversations because I think for a long time, I mean, I'm a social introvert. You know, I like being around people, but my default is put me on my couch with a cup of tea and a book. 
and I'm happy. Yeah, same. I can be same. alone for so long. I enjoy my own company. <laughs> I, I love silence. Like that's my default. So mm-hmm. I love, you know, being social, but it's got to look a little differently for me. And I've got to work out of my comfort zone with more intention. So for me, we landed in this neighborhood. I knew nobody. Mm. I mean, I knew nobody in this entire community. It was it was all brand new for me. I had little kids like preschool, kindergarten, second grade. We can talk about this maybe at some point. Our oldest son now, Robert, is 29. And he came into our lives when he was 19. So he wasn't even really part of our family yet. So I had these little kids and I was lonely. Hmm. And, you know, I was in that phase of of never alone, but always lonely. Yeah, that feeling is yeah. real. Yes. I think we are all even now, like I'm in a much different phase of life. I've got teenagers and a young adult. I'm still like, I think we carry some level of loneliness, whether we've admitted it to ourselves or not. And we are looking for that connection that we were created to carry. We were created to know each other and to need each other. That's how God created us. We've got this culture around us telling us to be independent, to solve our own problems, you know, to pay our own way. That's just kind of the culture of our time seeping into us. Yes. And meanwhile, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the gospel. So to answer your question, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a long process. And and so Start With Hello yes. is my third book. All three of my books were written in this house that I'm sitting in right now. And I was asking different questions. I was asking like, okay, now suddenly I have people all around me. Mm. Many of them speak a different language or most of them are different from me in some way, I would say, like different air quotes. Because I think one of the things I'm learning is we're all really pretty similar in Mm. a lot of ways. It's wild. But I just chase those questions. Why does this matter to God was the first question. And I wrote Falling Free. And then really, who is my neighbor was the question I chased. And I wrote The Ministry of Ordinary Places. And with Start With Hello, things were making Mm. sense to me a little bit more. But the question I was receiving from other people was, how do we do it? Like, okay, Mm. we're on board with this. We understand that neighbor is part of our spiritual DNA. It is part of us. So how do we do it? And you know, that's where Start With Hello was born, was just trying Uh. to make this as practical as possible because, you know, it's just, it's something that we have to find our way into. And being an introvert is something I I used to think like, well, that kind of lets me off the hook. (laughs) And so the bad news is it doesn't. The bad news is we still need community around us and we still need to be you know, living this, ask for what you need, offer what you can and take turns doing that forever. We still need to to find our way into that. What does your neighborhood experience look like for you now? Mm -hmm. That could be my fourth book, Heather. (laughs) There we go. It's all in the neighborhood. As far as you and how you're engaging with the community around you, what does that look like? I have learned when we first landed in this neighborhood, there was a part of me, though I felt like God had done so much work in our hearts to rid us of these saviorist mentalities. The truth is some of them still remain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I remember arriving here and I was so excited. Mm -hmm. I was just so excited to be here. It all felt brand new. It felt, you know, a little like anxiety producing maybe because it was also unfamiliar. But I had this urge, like now I need to go out and drum up business for God, like go out into the streets and do a thing. (laughs) I really felt that way. I felt like I had to, and and people around us were really confused as to why we moved from, you know, the community we were in to this neighborhood. And they would say, are you planting a church? No. Are you starting a food pantry? No. Are you starting a Bible study? No. And I started to feel like, wait, 
maybe we're supposed to be doing a thing. And what I learned uh, was I was here, we were here to, to simply be normal, to be humans, to be neighbors. And what I've learned through that process that looked very different than I thought it would, it looked invisible, it looked insignificant. In a lot of ways, it looked very, very slow. Like this is such slow mm. hidden work. But I started to realize that I could just pay attention to the world I'm in really intentionally, like really pay attention. And as I started to pay attention to my place, I started to pay closer attention to the people around me. And then I could live available. Like when opportunities for connection arose, I would be ready. I would notice them and I would be ready. I would engage. You know, we've been here now for hmm. 10 or 11 years. We are involved in a lot of different things. We have learned to say yes quickly. We have learned to receive with open arms and gratitude, whatever was being offered to us from the generous neighbors around us. As I mentioned, my husband became the chaplain of the county jail. I went on staff, you know, these are like year after year, like years apart, but I four years ago became a cook at our community kitchen. So I work part-time there two days a week. And so mm. we, we just find these different ways to join in on things that are already happening around us, that we don't have to be the ones starting a thing, but that we can yeah. just join in and get our hands dirty and take our orders from other people. And it's just such a beautiful yes. process. And I will give one last thing that I really haven't talked about publicly much, but I'm getting ready to run for city council. Why? <laughs> so I would be, I mean, who knows? We don't know how it's going to happen, but... It's like you just continue to find opportunities to engage in meaningful ways. And that's I one of the that. things that popped up. And so I'm just, I'm going for it. <laughs> you say something really interesting in your book. I teach intercultural communication and I have found this to be very much like a cultural issue. Mm -hmm. So in your book, you talk about just dropping in or having people yeah. just drop in and how that can create a lot of anxiety in most Americans, yeah. myself included, right. to be honest. But tell me your philosophy on people coming over unannounced and yeah. why you think this is something we all could just chill out about yeah. a little bit. To me, it feels kind of old-timey. Do people do that anymore? I'm not a person who would naturally like that or want that, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> Um, for real. We used to tease my dad relentlessly because that was part of my childhood. People would just show up and dad would just be in somebody's neighborhood and drop by. And, you know, like yeah. he would always say, it made their day. And we were like, but did it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in this neighborhood, in this community, and I wrote a little bit about this, but a couple, it's happened more than a couple of times, but people just kind of drop by. And it would kind of freak me out or, or put yeah. me into panic mode a little bit or kind of like annoy me even like we've got stuff going on. And I have uh -huh. learned the real beauty to just surrendering to whoever knocks on the door. I mean, you know, all the caveats, we can't always just jump right in. But a lot of times we can. And I wrote particularly about when our friends Jason and Courtney dropped by, it was like 9pm. It was like the weirdest thing. I still don't know quite why it happened. But mm. I remember they're close friends of ours. And they said, we ran to Dairy Queen and yeah. we just thought we'd stop by. And they stayed for maybe 45 minutes. The <laughs> house was a disaster. We were just coming home from a baseball game. It was a weeknight. But we sat right here at this table and we immediately went in on like a really meaty conversation. Uh -huh. And I just remember thinking like, you know, when they finally cleared out and we finally kind of moved on, I would have missed that. Like these are the encounters of real true connection. Authentic community means that that we get to do that. We get to just 
lean on each other. We get to just show up. We get to just say, come on in. The house is a mess. I remember I was eating leftover spaghetti and said like, do you want some leftover spaghetti? Like this is all we have right now. But if we can just bring that bar down, it makes it easier. It makes it more accessible and it makes it more <laughs> likely that we will really connect. And when people show up at nine o'clock on a weeknight, they're going to mm. see how you really live. And the truth is we need to be seen as we really live. And what happened from there was we dropped in on them sometimes unannounced. Like we just knew we could. We knew we could. We knew they had given us permission. And so when we're out walking in a different part of town and we walk by, we can just knock on their door and like (laughs) stick our heads in and and talk for a little bit. And it's just, there's something just really sweet about it. And I actually hate when people do what I'm about to do to you right now. So I'm apologizing in advance. I don't like when people (laughs) are like, what are three things? Because then I feel so much pressure. So I'm going to say three. Yeah. If you come up with one, Shannon, it is fine. There is no pressure here, okay? What (laughs) would be your advice on three things somebody listening right now could Mm -hmm. do or apply to their own lives so that they can be a better neighbor? Yeah. Oh, I love this. Okay. Number one, find a practice for paying Mm. attention. And I mean that with your body, with your senses, with your eyes, your ears. You know, Jesus lived embodied. So much of scripture, when I went back and, and really kind of read the gospels with new eyes, I was seeing all of this language. Okay. Maybe this is where you start. My kids were little. So I remember doing this with a crayon. A crayon is a great way to underline in your Bible. I found it doesn't bleed through oh, okay. a colored pencil and go through the gospels and notice all the places you see language relating to Jesus saying, he saw, he heard, hmm. he felt, he noticed and underline them. Hmm. And what that tells us is that Jesus was showing us the way. Jesus was Mm. modeling for us how to live embodied. Sometimes you'll see stories where Jesus thought he was going to do this certain thing, and then he feels somebody grab his sleeve, Mm -hmm, or he mm -hmm. hears somebody say his name, and his plans redirect. If we can begin Mm. to really come into attunement with our senses when we're out in the world, that's when we will begin to better attend to the place where we are so that when opportunities come up, we notice them. Number two, I would say set the intention that this year, you know, I, I wrote Start With Hello and packed it full of ideas. Set the intention that you're going to pick one you're going to pick one thing. It's not about like Hmm. doing all these things that's overwhelming. And we're all jumping into this in different places. But maybe your one thing is you're going to diversify your reading list. That was an important thing that I did. And just better understanding the world outside of my context years ago, and it changed me. Or maybe your one thing is you're going to go Hmm. put yourself out there just a little bit, you're going to go first, and ask somebody you don't know very well to go on a walk with you. Because we don't have to start with inviting people into our Mm. homes. That feels big. But just like, hey, would you want to go for a walk? Or hey, would you want to meet for coffee? You're going to do that this year. That's Mm. one little thing. And then the last thing I would say, and it sounds kind of big, but I promise it's my absolute favorite tip, so to speak. Ask for help. Be the one who shows Mm. up needy. Be the one who knocks on a door and says, hey, like ask for the literal stick of butter. We can still do that. Ask for a rake. Mm -hmm. Instead of going and buying your own shovel, ask your neighbor if you can borrow their shovel. When we lead with our need or our lack, it sets the bar Mm -hmm. at this really comfortable and accessible place for everybody. It kind of balances some of those power dynamics that can feel wonky. 
it lets that person know that when they need something, it gives them that permission that I was talking about with Jason and Courtney. Like then they know, oh, she borrowed something. I can ask her for help too. And if we can come to a place where we're really truly asking for what we need and offering what we can and looking to each other for help, that's what knits us together into actual fabric of community. Like, you know, we've got these different layers. We have our best friends and we have our church friends and we have, you know, it doesn't mean that everybody in the world is going to be our best friend. doesn't mean that there's not going to be complexity and, you know, conflict that comes up, but these small interactions are so meaningful Mm. to the good life. You were really good at that. Oh, thanks. That I mean, you were ready. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Shannon Martin is the author of Start With Hello. I give you permission right now to pause this episode and just buy it right now. What are you waiting for? Wherever your favorite place to get your books from or request it at the library. Authors actually love when you request their books into libraries. Yes. Start With Hello. We would love for you to join us in this conversation. Shannon, my tagline this season for Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. So in a time when social media has a lot of negatives around it, I'm trying to encourage people to take ownership of their own communication and how they are communicating their faith, both online and offline. The question that I ask everybody to end the show is this, how do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space? Oh, that's so good. I choose to continue calling people to ask better questions. Hmm. to ask the question underneath the question to go just a little bit deeper. And instead of looking at this, you know, as, as whatever the, the topic might be, but instead of looking at just like this typical narrative that we've been given to ask the question under that. Hmm. And, and when I do, I mean, that, that's how I lead often in my social media space, which I love. And I see hmm. so much good that comes out of social media but that's how I engage. And when I do, I am committed to hanging in there for the conversation. I bring up topics that might sound uh, challenging, but we can come together and we can talk about these things together. We really can. Shannon Martin is the author of Start With Hello. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. So what can we learn from our conversation with Shannon Martin? Number one, What do we do with the reality of biblical characters like David that are depicted as both heroes but and villains? Shannon says what we do is we tell the stories honestly. And if we are being honest about their stories, maybe we can also be more honest about our own. Number two, Don't engage in spiritual bypassing. The beauty that one day we will be in heaven should not cause us to ignore the reality of the pain so many of us are experiencing right now. Shannon says, if you pick up one heavy thing with your arm, it can actually be stabilizing to pick up something heavy with your other. Friend, both things can be true. God can be good. And the life of a Christian can be hard. We can hold both of these heavy truths without diminishing either of them. Number three, if you are living in a Christian bubble, 
Shannon challenges you to step outside of it. How can you care for those at the margins in your own neighborhood or school or workplace or community? Sometimes loving your neighbor literally just means going next door. And guess what? Guess what? You can start with hello. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, I am going to do a solo episode, just you and me, and I'm going to share with you what's been on my heart as we've gone through this entire season as we gear up for the summer season. I'm super excited about the pod classes that we're going to run this summer. Oh, you are going to absolutely love it. And so I'll tell you about those next week. So I'll see you next week where we will have another conversation because I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.